now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Good afternoon to one and all, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always, always been in you. Very excited to be with you here today, each and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between. And each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And it's all within the context of our relationships, the relationships that we have with ourselves and others and God or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. And if uh, you would like to call in and to be part of the show, I'll be taking your calls later, but I'll give you that number now. It is 888 627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And uh, I just wanted to say from the outset that uh, these uh, broadcasts are podcasted now in case you want to go back and listen again, just in case you can't spend a whole hour with me, or if you want to go back into the archives and listen to previous shows. Again, all you would need to do is just visit the website there that I just gave you a little while ago. And just click on the archives, and uh, you'll be able to download those shows. And I also wanted to take a little time out at the beginning of this particular broadcast and just to thank everybody for your support over the past year. And uh, just wanted to say that if you haven't had an opportunity to continue your support, uh, you can do so even today by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, uh, just a little bit of clarity on that, a, a subscription is not required to listen to any of my talk shows, but it is greatly appreciated. So again, all you would need to do is go on the website, The again, give it to you, it's www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity, and then just look for the banner that has subscription on it, click on it, and then just follow the instructions there, and please choose any amount that you feel comfortable, and again, you have my ultimate gratitude in this. Well, I just wanted to say, uh, as I do at the beginning of all these shows, uh, just a little explanation as to what reclaiming authenticity is all about, because in all actuality, Herein lies the the greater context of of all these talk shows, or all these, I should say, broadcasts, um, that they all have this uh, red thread, if you will, that all ties them together. Because um, a lot of people ask me, like, what exactly do you believe? And I said, well, I kind of keep it simple. I just have two very, you know, fundamental beliefs. Uh, One is that I believe that all of us come into this world already equipped 
and graced with everything that we need in this life in terms of you know our skills our our talents our strengths our character traits or our giftedness if you will and how we live out our giftedness is in and through various relationships like i said that's the foundation for all of this is just it, we come back to time and time again the relationships that are in our lives and secondly <clears throat> i also have a, a deep uh, sense of you know uh, belief that uh, we often receive our our deepest physical emotional psychological even spiritual wounds within the context of relationships. After all, we are social beings. We are relational beings, okay? And uh, we often go along in life and maybe due to un some unpleasant experiences, we may tend to hide our giftedness or we may feel tempted to push those skills way down so that others cannot see it because, well, if others see it, what's happened in the past maybe in your life is it's been exploited. Those gifts have been exploited or you've been ridiculed in some way. Or maybe you were told that don't even bother because you'll never amount to anything anyway. Or whatever other voice you heard telling you that there's nothing special to you. But just as we often receive our, our deepest wounds in relationships, herein lies the irony that we can discover our greatest healing and our strength and our peace and our forgiveness and love in and through healthier relationships. And these relationships just might be within our own families. They might be on the job with our coworkers and colleagues and friends. But um, there's always a potential for transformation because whenever we are transformed, we also transform others by our presence, by our grace and our understanding. You know, but forgiveness, kindness, compassion begins with really how we treat ourselves. So again, we come back to the relationship foundation, just who are we when we look in the mirror and what is being reflected back to us, okay? Because whenever we are compassionate with ourselves, uh, I find that we can then be more compassionate with others. And when we are more forgiving with ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with one another. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves, we then discover how this truly opens our hearts to see and to live in gratitude with others. So I guess if you want a bottom line here, uh, transformation first and foremost has to begin with us, but it doesn't remain with just us. It, it kind of ripples out, if you will, like throwing a stone in a pond. The ripple effect is it's going to affect each and every one of our relationships. It's, it's that powerful because it is a transformation that is ongoing. Well, how are you doing today? I, you know, I hope you are well. I, I hope, you know, we are what, a, uh, a week? Uh, no, I'm sorry, eight days outside of uh, the Christmas holiday, going into Christmas Eve, Christmas holiday, and, and uh, kids that I talk to, the kids I counsel, they're excited because I think next Wednesday is their first, you know, their start, the first day of their Christmas vacation or the winter break, as, as some people call it, and going into 
New Year's and New Year's Day and and so forth. But um, exciting time of the year. And so just like uh, the day after Thanksgiving, you know, just when every, everybody and then some went out to go shopping to get the latest deals, the malls and shopping centers and online shopping and so forth is going to be just as busy because, well, this is the last weekend to get everything done. So I'm sure there will be some mad dash to get out there and to get get them, you know, the most out of everything. But please, if you're one of, of many who will be out there shopping, just keep in mind the, the spirit of this season. You know, let's let's be kind to each other out there. Let us just realize that at the at the end of it all, you know, we are family, we are friends, we have colleagues and so forth. Because again, the Sunday after Christmas is going to come and don't want to live with regret, a regret of what's been said in anger or a regret over how you had treated somebody and so forth. Okay. Well, in speaking of how and why we may be tempted at times just to protect ourselves, um, how and why we may have pushed our giftedness or our skills or our talents and so forth way down inside of us so that others cannot see it and therefore exploit it or make fun of it or, or whatever, um, you know, or believing those messages, you know, where, you know, you're never going to amount to anything or whatever other voice you heard telling that you were nothing, you know, you're nothing special. Today's show continues on the focus on the illusion of these negative beliefs. And yes, you heard correctly. It is an illusion because, you know, therein does not lie the truth. Okay, and, um, you know, but it will focus on the illusion of these negative beliefs that convince us that we have no connection with anyone or anything else. The fact is, we do. We are connected in many, many different ways in which we may not even realize. But every thought, every word, every action, every aspect of our behavior impacts one another in very subtle or not so subtle ways. So for the month of December, if you've been with me so far, um, we've been talking about stories that share these incredible insights for us to understand and integrate into our lives that bring us into profound truths about who we truly are as souls. You know, what do we do whenever we are confronted with the truth? I mean, how do we even recognize it? And where does truth uh, connect to us? Where does it resonate deep within us? And throughout the month of December, as I said, these stories um, have just been pointing out different shades of the truth and different aspects of who are we and how do we go about finding this? So you remember, you know, I, I started this series with the washerman and the donkey, where, you know, how we often believe so-called superimposed limitations about ourselves when they're just simply not true. It's just an illusion that we've come to believe. But when we see it for what it is, we just cast it off. And, you know, like the donkey who believed he was tied to the tree when actually he wasn't. We, we don't realize that we've been free all along. And then there was the story of King Janak and the sage. And that story taught us about, in our search for the truth, how we are witnesses of the truth. 
because it was a story about King Janak had uh, a dream that was so vivid and horrifying that when he woke up, he he didn't know which way was up, in a sense. He kept asking, well, was that true or is this true? And he just didn't know that, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter whether it was a dream or a waking. He is the witness of the truth. The truth is him and not necessarily in different stages of, let's say, a dream state or a deep sleep state or even an awakened state. And then last week, we took a look at the 10th man. This is a great story of just how often we look for truth in all the wrong places. And, um, you know, just that, uh, if you recall, the the story was 10 boys crossed a river and they thought, you know, they only came up with nine afterwards. And they realized uh, that whoever was doing the counting didn't count themselves and how often we don't include ourselves when we're looking for the truth, because we believe the truth is out there external from us. And we realize that when we include ourselves, therein lies the truth. And even today, we come to yet another story that reveals to us a little bit more understanding in our search for truth, all the while living in the uh, dualistic, or shall I say, a very temporal world. And this is the story of the Princess of Kashi. Okay, I've heard it said, or when this story was told to me, it was kind of one of those that are, it's just a classic, because it gets to the heart of the matter in terms of where, again, do we find the truth, and what happens in us when that truth is discovered, truth is revealed. So, well, long, long ago, in the kingdom of India, uh, a play was being staged in the royal court, and it was called the princess of Kashi. Now, the role of the princess of Kashi was to be played by a little girl. However, since there was no little girl in the palace, the queen thought that the prince, who was five at the time, well, he could be dressed up as a girl, and he could play that role. And now, it wasn't a big role, and all the prince really had to do was just to stand there and just kind of look like a princess. And, you know, the queen thought after he was dressed up that he was so adorable as a princess that the, the queen ordered a painting to be made of him. And she called in the artist, and, uh, you know, when the painting was done, the artist signed, you know, at the bottom, the words, the princess of Kashi. And then he dated it. Well, after some years, the painting was taken down to the palace center, and it was stored there. By now, the prince was a young man of 20, and he was very good-looking. He was confident. He was smart. And he was being raised and trained in the affairs of the land. Well, one day, when he was just wandering through the palace, uh, he found a set of stairs leading to the cellar, and he decided to explore what was in there. After all, he'd just never been down there. <laughs> and as he was walking around, he found a painting of a little girl dressed up in royal garb, and at the bottom of the painting was written, The Princess of Kashi. And looking at the date, he realized that the princess in the painting would be the same age as he was. And she was so pretty that the prince immediately fell in love with her. 
And he decided right then and there that he would marry no one but her. And like any young man in love, he became very dreamy and preoccupied with thoughts of the Princess of Kashi. He, you know, lost all of his focus on his princely activities and responsibilities. And the king and queen noticed this change in his mood and, and the change in his behavior, and they were concerned. And they asked him what was wrong, but he was just too shy to tell them. Well, finally, a kind old minister of the court met with the prince and asked him, Dear prince, what's wrong? Why are you not yourself these days? And after gently assuring and reassuring the prince that he would keep his secret, the minister was able to coax a reply out of the prince. I'm in love, said the prince rather bashfully. Oh, that's great news, said the minister. Who is she? Where is she? Well, she's the princess of Kashi. I saw a painting of her in the royal cellar. And the date of the painting shows that she would be about 20 years old, just like me. And this is the girl I want to marry. Well, the minister, on hearing these words, became silent. And he started to think. And he, he knew that he had heard of the Princess of Kashi before, but he just couldn't remember where and when. And so he asked, well, can you please show me this painting? Well, the prince took him down to the royal cellar. And when the minister saw the painting, he immediately recognized who the princess was. And very gently, he placed his hand on the prince's shoulder, and this kind-hearted minister looked him in the eye, and he said in a serious tone, I have to tell you something. What is it? asked the prince, sensing that something was wrong. The minister said, you can't marry this girl. Well, why not? Is she already married? Is she dead? Well, the minister then told him the story of a play that was staged about 15 years ago and how he, the prince, was dressed up as a girl and made the play the role of the princess of Kashi. Dear prince, you can't marry her because you are the princess of Kashi. Well, the prince was in shock and bewilderment, to say the least, as he heard the minister's words. And on realizing this truth that the princess of Kashi didn't exist and that he himself was what he was yearning for, his desire for the princess melted away. Well, have you ever taken a selfie? I'm certain if you have an iPhone out there or some other phone that has a built-in camera, you have taken selfies before. And uh, after you've taken the picture of yourself, you, you check it out to make sure it's in focus and that you look your best. And uh, the interesting thing I've noticed is how people often like their selfies more than who they are. I mean, after all, you can add all kinds of features to enhance the picture, and we can even make avatars or emojis of ourselves. But what is it that we often prefer an enhanced version of ourselves 
to who we truly are? Is it because we really don't know ourselves? In other words, we don't know ourselves as a soul? Or perhaps we may not like our appearance, and we may need to, shall we say, dress it up before we approve, let alone finding the approval from others? Or could it be that because we all have an innate desire to be happy, and we don't experience happiness within ourselves, we then will naturally look to the outside world for the happiness that we seek. And these are some pretty tough questions that we have to ask ourselves if we're ever going to find true happiness and the joy and peace and gratitude within ourselves. See, unfortunately, people are very loathsome from their perceptions of who they think they are that they never consider looking within for these answers. Or, let's say, if they do look inward, they find it very difficult to tolerate the emotional and or psychological pain that they have experienced. And therefore, it's much more pleasant <clears throat> to stay with the externals. I mean, at least we convince ourselves that we can control the externals more than facing these storms that lie within. Well, there's another story. This one comes from Greek mythology. I'm sure you've heard about it in school. If not, it's a great story. It's a story about a man named Narcissus who was known for, you know, just being a, he's known as a figure in Greek mythology who was so incredibly handsome that he fell in love with his own image reflected in a pool of water. And ironically, even his girlfriend, Echo, could not manage to, shall we say, woo him away from his self-absorption. And that is where he died, as a result of his fixation with his own reflection. Now, it's worth noting that Narcissus fell in love with his reflection and not his true self. I mean, this is something that is, you know, just an underlying lesson here in the story. <clears throat> it was his reflection. It wasn't his true self. I mean, and how many times have you heard it said, you know, even today, you know, you've heard it said of somebody, they've never met a mirror they didn't like. <laughs> okay. And yeah, we can become so enamored with what is being reflected back to us in a mirror, that we often mistake that image for who we are. And trust me, and you know this as well as I, we can spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to enhance an image that's only a mere reflection, when all the time perhaps we ignore looking inward to discover where our true beauty lies. And that's our soul. And when taken to extreme, the next thing that suffers is going to be our relationships. Because inter interestingly, the story of Narcissus is where we get the clinical term narcissist, narcissist from. And narcissism is characterized by a whole host of very damaging characteristics, damaging in and, and to relationships. You know, for example, there is, you know, within narcissism, 
there is a, a grandiose sense of self-importance. And what I'm describing here is just so over the top. You know, nothing wrong with looking into the mirror. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But when there's this obsession, okay, when it goes over the top, when it's taken to the extreme and it starts to damage our perspective of who we are and our perspective with others, that's where the problems start. So narcissism is characterized by this grandiose sense of self-importance. You know, it, it's very much over the top. And along with that, there's this feeling, you know, superior to others or that one deserves special treatment, you know, that the laws don't apply to me because I am better than you or whatever. Okay, where there's feelings um, often accompanied by fantasies of unlimited success or brilliance or power or beauty or love. And there's also this excessive need for admiration, you know, where the person has to be the center of attention, how they often monopolize conversations. And people feel, you know, who are just deep within the narcissism, they, they feel slighted or mistreated or depleted and enraged when they are ignored. Okay. Well, people who also struggle with narcissism, you know, um, have very superficial or exploitative relationships. That relationships are based on surface attributes and not the unique qualities of others. And some people would even say that people are only valued to the extent that they are viewed as beneficial. Okay. But people who also struggle with narcissism in severe cases lack empathy. I mean, severely limited or, or totally lacking the ability to care about the emotional needs or experiences of others, even loved ones. And there's also a sense of, uh, you know, an identity disturbance, you know, a sense of self that is highly superficial or extremely rigid and often very very fragile. And self-stability depends on maintaining the view that one is exceptional. In other words, I have to be the best. I have to be exceptional. Okay, if uh, not, I'm not going to have the stability in my life because I cannot deal with anything less than perfection. And so this grandiose sense of self can be easily threatened and people often retreat from or they deny realities that challenge this grandiosity. In other words, <clears throat> the problem clearly doesn't lie with me. It is clearly your fault. It is clearly your issue because you're inferior. Okay? Do you hear the arrogance coming through? And people who struggle with narcissism also have difficulty with attachment and dependency. And they often have to rely on some sort of feedback from, you know, others, the externals. And relationships only exist to just prop up or to shore up, shall we say, positive self-images. Because interactions that they have with people are very superficial and intimacy is often avoided. And there's also a sense of just chronic feelings of emptiness and boredom. Because when attention and praise are not available, 
people feel empty. They feel bored. They feel depressed. They feel restless. <laughs> and then there's also um, ultimately a, a vulnerability to life transitions. They do not like transitions. People who struggle with narcissism have difficulty maintaining, I guess I'd say, reality-based personal and professional goals over time is a good way to put it. Okay, But any kind of compromises that are required by, let's say, a school or a job or relationships may feel unbearable. Okay, And there's also significant risk factors for suicide or many suicide attempts. Because, again, a person who's narcissistic is very, very fragile. And I often say that there's two types, not to you know, be just overgeneralize things, but there, you, know, you can often find two types of narcissism out there in the world. One is a grandiose, over-the-top kind where a person walks into a room and just shouts, fabulous, I'm here, let the party get begin, you know, you know. And then there's the other one that's more of a wounded narcissist where there is such a raw unhealed emotional wound that the person has to be over the top in order to keep people from you know at a distance from touching these wounds either way it's it's it is very sad and it's you know but it's not impossible to heal from these wounds it's difficult but, you know, not impossible. It takes time. It, it takes a lot of patience. And what often happens when people who are in relationships with somebody who is narcissistic, um, just certain boundary issues have to be established and maintained just for the sake of uh, sanity in the relationship. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So, again, if you'd like to call in, that number is 888-627-6008, and I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. I'll be back with you in one minute. Well, welcome back. I am Dr. James Halkin. You are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. 
Well, I just wanted to, uh, next week is uh, Christmas Eve, and so I'll be, you know, I'll be here. Uh, you can listen to the show, still working on it, so I can't give you the title of it. But uh, I promise you, it will definitely be something that is uh, transformative, indeed. But it will always bring us back to relationships and um, reclaiming, discovering and reclaiming those things that have always been in us and discovery of who we are, really who we are. Well, earlier in the show, I was uh, talking about the story of the Princess of Kashi. It's a story whereby a prince, when he was about five years old, he was dressed like a girl in order to play a part in the palace play. He then posed for a painting immediately after, which was labeled as the Princess of Kashi, and the painting was hidden away in a cellar, which he found some 15 years later. And when he saw the painting, he immediately fell in love with the girl in the painting, uh, believing that she was now probably the same age as he was. But a wise court minister exposed the truth that who he really fell in love with was himself. And from that moment on, the prince forgot all about his love for the princess in the painting. So how can we find happiness? since we live in an external or internal world, is ultimately the question that this story, uh, The Princess of Kashi, raises. And if you recall, last week, there was a story of the 10th man. You know, it's a story that's commonly told to explain how we look for truth in all the wrong places. Okay, but again, the Princess of Kashi raises the question, well, how can we find this happiness when, you know, we we live in, let's say, a dualistic society, internal and external? Okay, but um, the story of the Tenth Man, that whenever we find the truth about ourselves, we're then left with an incredible responsibility that brings us to a freedom like we have never known before. And with the story of the tenth man, it involves ten boys who crossed a very torrid river. And when they got to the other side, the, the leader decided, let's make sure we're all here. So he decided to, you know, um, count everybody just to make sure everybody crossed safely. And yet to his surprise and horror, there were only nine of them. Yet when he realized that he forgot to count himself, he understood his error. I mean, he was simply looking outside of himself for the answer. But when he included himself, his sorrow was gone, and he was filled with relief and happiness. And when we think about these stories, you know, this is kind of our situation in the world in which we live. We we count everything that we see and perceive and we assume is correct, but yet how often do we forget to count ourselves, to include ourselves? And going a little bit deeper with this, we will even search for the truth about ourselves that we are eternal souls in all kinds of places and situations and experiences. And yet we're always and ever right here. We just haven't realized it yet, let alone now what do we do? How do we live that truth out? 
But because we take ourselves to be individuals separate from each other and the world, we do live with a sense of duality, you know, that I am here and the world is here. And, and yet the problem we run into is that the outer world has no real happiness, and and this is what I mean by it. It's not really, you know, this is easy to understand, that we all feel happiness when we are able to acquire and to buy and to enjoy things that we want. And we experience happiness when we're hanging out with people, you know, people that we like, or if we're in a situation that pleases us. And while we do feel happy in these situations, it's not the true happiness that we seek. Because we just don't want to be happy some of the time or to be somewhat happy. I mean, let's be honest. We want to be absolutely happy all the time, all the time. And we want that happiness to continue because on one level, it feels great. Yet the very happiness that comes from us being in contact with the world, that happiness is impermanent. It's uncertain. It's always changing. And so with our happiness, there's also a subtle hint of fear of losing it. I mean, we experience fear because um, our happy state of mind depends on things and people and situations remaining in a way that suits our particular wants and needs. And yet, we know that this is really impossible because nothing stays the same. But we often live in denial of that. We'd like, no, 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 this is going to go on for a long time. Okay. Well, the French military leader Napoleon was once quoted saying, all glory is fleeting, meaning that the glory of anything we strive for, you know, sooner rather than later, is going to start to fade. And then you're off again in search of something to replace that feeling. And if you know anything about Napoleon, he was a great military leader, a conqueror, and so forth, who better than he would know that all glory is fleeting, that you know, the kind of happiness he was seeking just didn't last. So he always had to replace it with the, the next thing, who would that which would provide him happiness, but then that would start to fade. And so then he had to go find something else. And it just continued on and on and on. All glory is fleeting. All happiness is fleeting. And, you know, it's it's also kind of like sports figures who work hard all season long to get to the finals. Or let's say they work hard to get to the World Series or the Super Bowl. And they just might win the big game or when they win the series. Okay? They're champions. You know, there's a great celebration. Champagne bottles are popping all over the place. And crowds are just going crazy with excitement. But have you ever wondered what happens the next day when these players wake up and realize that they need to clean up after their dog or take the trash out or help their children with their homework? Now you think about it. One day, they're at the top of their game, and the next, the reality of everyday life sets in. And now they're staring at a honeydew list, which is not that glamorous, but it is just as important because 
life goes on. And yet, in order to often hang on to the glory days of happiness, people often live in the past of, well, once upon a time, but they never move beyond that time or feeling in their life because they're looking in all the wrong places. And herein lies this looking for happiness where it can truly be found. True happiness is absolute, it's permanent, and it's independent of any external or constantly changing factors. And what's interesting is that even though we never find the real happiness that we seek out in the world, we just can't seem to give up searching for it. And, and it almost appears you know, like we're conditioned from childhood with a desire to find permanent happiness. Well, getting back to this story of the princess of Kashi, you know, the desire to marry the girl that he saw in the picture, this desire disappeared when the prince realized his own true nature, the insight that there's nothing apart from the pure awareness that he has of his self. In other words, you are the very thing. You are that which you seek. And think about the things that we seek in this life. You know, go ahead, you know, grab a piece of paper and, and a pen or something, and, and let's start making a list. And after a while, examine that list. And if we're honest with ourselves, that list, everything that we have on that, it's going to show us, you know, what are the things that, you know, you know, pull us out of ourselves to, you know, something outward or are there things on your list that compel you to turn inward to discover who you are? The things that we go after in this life, are they pulling us out into a world which is never really going to satisfy the cry of our hearts, the cry of our soul? Or are there things on our list that are going to compel us to turn inward to seek those answers for, to discover who we are? to find that true happiness and peace and joy. I mean, ultimately, the prince further realized that the appearance of himself being separate from the princess in the painting, well, that just ended up to be an illusion. I mean, this realization also that he had is, is very spiritual. There is one awareness, and we are it. I mean, ultimate reality appears in many forms, and yet it, it's one. You're not part of it or apart from it. You know, we are it. We find the truth of who we are by looking inward. It's you, which you will discover when you look underneath the appearances and into the depths of who you truly are. And there, you'll find this ever-present awareness an awareness that has always existed in you and will always exist. And we are, you know, we are that awareness, you know, that which knows this is you. And the interesting thing is that all the scriptures throughout the world teach that since the outer world doesn't really have any intrinsic lasting happiness, then the only other place it can be found is within. 
In fact, not only is the real happiness within me, the real happiness is us. It's our true nature. You know, we're not the personality, you know, whom we take ourselves to be. There is much, much more to us than that. We're pure spirit. We are self. You know, our nature is absolute happiness, unconditioned by any other outer thing or being or circumstance. But unfortunately, we've forgotten that. Now, there is, however, a deep inner knowing that doesn't go away. And that's why we should never give up or grow tired of seeking true happiness. Because we are, in a sense, trying to reclaim the awareness of our true nature. And in reality, there is no duality. Okay, The world which we have superimposed happiness on doesn't really exist, just as the you know, Princess of Kashi didn't really exist. Therefore, if we want to bottom line it here, what we are searching for is ourselves. Who are we? Do we have the courage to look within? Do we realize that who and what we are searching for is really who we are? Because the moment the prince heard of the truth, you know, the desire for the princess of Kashi in his heart just disappeared. He realized like, ooh, okay, that's an illusion because I'm looking at me. You know, and he realized that he alone is the girl in the painting. And he thought about this. But why did this desire go away? Is it because he married her? No. Did it go away because he realized that there was no way he could marry her? No. His desire went away because he realized that there was no such girl apart from him. The girl in the picture and he himself were one and the same. And he realized that that desire for happiness needed to be turned inward to find it within himself. I mean, the prince realized that this duality of him and the princess was an illusion, and it was ignorance and not reality. And there are no two different individuals, no two different beings. The illusion was caused by his not knowing. It was caused by his ignorance. And we could say that this universe is our princess of Kashi. But whenever we realize who we are, we realize that truly there is nothing in this universe apart from us. We are the one with everything that exists, and we will exist. I mean, absolute happiness is the real happiness, which is true to our nature of the inner peace and joy, which is not affected by these external factors. Because we can run ourselves ragged. We can run ourselves into the ground searching for happiness. And then when it starts to fade, now what are we going to do? So we run out and get the next, next thing. Can we get the latest thing out on the market and so forth and thinking that's going to fill the hole. That's going to give me ultimate happiness. All we have to do is turn inward. 
and to ask very tough questions of ourselves and begin that journey to find the happiness that we have that's not based on anything external. I mean, happiness is related, you know, that, you know, I should say not related to the external, physical, material world. It's temporary. It has a time frame. It fades away. And it's dependent on our needs and our wants. You know, but sooner or later, hopefully we realize that it's the absolute happiness that lies within that is what we've been yearning for all along. And I have to tell you, people, that um, you know it when you find it. You know it. There is an incredible peace that comes over you. There's an incredible sense of, not that now I have all the answers to life and I'm good now, but it, it is a realization that we are far more than what we realize. Even every decision that our lives have taken and, and brought us to this very point. There, there, you know, it's not the end-all, be-all to us. There is so much more to us. And getting back to, you know, people stuck in a relationship, or I shouldn't say stuck, but in a relationship with a person with very strong narcissistic tendencies, it can be deeply frustrating and distressing. Because in their quest for control or admiration, uh, narcissistic people can manipulate and exploit others, you know, damaging their self-esteem, even aiming to alter their sense of reality. And it's, trust me, I've counseled people who are in relationships, you know, with narcissistic people and arguing with a narcissistic person about their own actions, that doesn't go anywhere. It just sends up defenses. But really, in a much healthier way is to establish boundaries and emotionally distance yourself. I said not only just for their sake, but also for your sake, to keep your sanity. Okay. I mean, realize that we may not be able to control um, you know, situations in our lives, and that's a hard reality for many, many people, but we can control how we respond to them. But let us consider that many times we believe that that our relationship with God can be captured in the externals. That if we just polish up the outside, then God can be found in the aesthetics of people, places, and things. But the danger of this farsightedness is that when we are so focused on the externals, we cannot see the soul of another person let alone anything else. And it's true. It all comes back to relationships. Who are we? Because whenever we're able to see ourselves as souls, we're going to be able to see one another as souls. We're going to see the potential in others to recognize themselves. We cannot force that, but we can see the potential. And so it's this kind of alchemy that's needed in today's world, especially in the up-and-coming generations. And our greatest lessons that we can do is to teach our youth, you know, and, and you know, teach them through example, modeling behavior, 
allowing, allowing them to see us behave graciously and compassionately and lovingly towards one another. Because that's going to speak volumes, you know, as opposed to lecturing them about how they should be in this world. But if they see it for themselves, if they receive it for themselves, that will make an impact on their lives. That will cause a transformation and hopefully allow them to begin to look inward for the truth of who they are. Because more importantly, we who are the older generations, we need to make sure the younger generations know that we see and hear and embrace their potential for kindness, strength, resiliency, and hope. I mean, they need to know that we see them as uh, good people, as good husbands and wives. They need to know that we see them as good fathers and mothers. We need to make sure they know how valuable and hopeful they are. Therein lies the truth, but the truth lies within. So throughout this Christmas season, throughout this holiday, may you take time to look within, to ask yourself the tough questions of, really, who am I? What do I search for? What's on my list? And, and is that pointing me out to the external direction of the world, or is it pulling me inward? Does it compel me to look within? Well, you've been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I'm Dr. James Houck, and thank you for spending this time with me. I am so grateful that you're able to do that. And in case you want to go back and listen to any of the other broadcasts in the archives, you can just do so by going on the website at www.bbsradio.com backslash Reclaiming Authenticity, and you can download just a whole slew of uh, previously recorded podcasts and and listen to them. So please drop me a line about today's uh, show or any other show that you would like to. Again, the you can contact me through the website. And until we talk again, may you find that peace within. May you realize yourself as a soul. And may God hold us continually in the palm of God's hands. Take care. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.